Hello there and welcome to episode number 492 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I am Sarah Wendell. Happy New Year. My guest this week is Olivia Dade. We had such a good time. We are going to talk about fan supercuts, watching shows through gift sets, Game of Thrones spoilers, writing characters with ADHD and with learning disabilities, and we're going to discover a very vintage ship that we have in common and we're going to squeeze each other. And I had such a good time. I want to thank Rachel, Alana, and Kelly from our Patreon community for contributing questions to this episode. If you would like to join the Patreon, it would be so great to have you. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Members of the community help me make sure that every episode has a transcript and also help me with questions for future guests. I also want to say hello and Happy New Year to Lonica, Cara, Maureen, and Amanda. Welcome aboard and thank you for joining the Patreon. This episode is brought to you in part by Headspace. Do you ever feel like your mind doesn't have an off switch or that tension is constantly traveling through your body? Or do you feel tired no matter how much you sleep? That is just one of the few ways that stress, anxiety, and sleeplessness can harm your mind and your body. This year, why not make small changes to your daily routine that have a big influence on your mental health and well-being? Start your year with Headspace. We all say we're fine when we don't really mean it, but fine isn't really an emotion, is it? How many times have you told yourself you're fine when all you've really felt is anger or sadness or just nerves? Headspace is scientifically proven to help you manage your feelings and your mental health. In fact, a recent study proved that in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. Whether you want to relieve stress and anxiety, sleep better, or improve your focus, Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness for real life. I personally love the courses on anxiety and on happiness, but I really love the sleep casts. My favorite is still Cat Marina. However you're feeling, try Headspace at headspace.com slash Sarah and get one month free of their entire mindfulness library. This is the best Headspace offer available, so go to headspace.com slash Sarah today. Headspace.com slash Sarah. This episode is brought to you in part by Jenny Kane Home. Creating a warm, cozy, welcoming home is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself. Jenny Kane Home has everything you need for every room, every style, and every sensibility. From furniture to accessories like candles, pillows, and soft throws, there is something for everyone seeking to make a room feel complete. Finding the perfect chair, for example, can be a challenge. You want it to be stylish but comfortable to fit in the room and fit into your reading plans. The Brentwood Boucle chair in ivory or natural is perfect for the bedroom, the living room, the den, or wherever you need effortless style and comfortable reading. Jenny Kane Home creates California-inspired classics for any room or mood. Grounded in natural textures and inviting neutrals, these are the pieces you will love coming home to. Create the space you'll never want to leave at JennyKane.com. Get 15% off your first order when you use code SPTV at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code SPTV. This episode is brought to you in part by June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game that several of you have downloaded and started playing with me. Hello to all the members of the SBTB Romance Club inside June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries full of twists and turns. You progress by gathering clues found in the different scenes, and you level up by building and restoring the property on Orchid Island. There are so many different elements, but the heart of the game is the hidden object scenes where you try to find as many objects as you can quickly and accurately. It is very easy for me to get caught up trying to beat my last score. I love the puzzle challenges, and I like testing my memories, but I really like how relaxing it is. June's journey is my reward throughout my day. When I need a break, I do a few puzzles, and then I go back to my to-do list with a happy brain that solved some things. Ready to awaken your inner detective? Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. And if you're playing, please let me know how you like it. This podcast is brought to you in part by Lumino. I love my smile. What I do not love is toxic ingredients that are in most dental care products. They're not good for health or teeth. And I want the best for my oral health. Products made with natural ingredients that help my smile, not harm it. And that's what I found with Lumino. Lumino makes toothpaste, mouthwash, and whitening products that actually help your oral health instead of hurting it. They use purposeful and uncompromising ingredients like sea salt, aloe, and coconut oils to clean and brighten your smile. Plus, everything they make is certified non-toxic. You won't find harsh bleaches, artificial dyes, or alcohol in any of Lumino's products. Everything they make is dentist-formulated, backed by over 50 studies, and proven to protect the good bacteria in your smile. I particularly like the toothpaste. 
as it leaves my mouth feeling extremely fresh and clean. I love how my smile feels and looks, and I know you'll love Lumino as much as I do, too. Get 15% off your order today by going to luminohealth.com slash trashybooks. That's L-U-M-I-N-E-U-X-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash trashybooks to save 15%. Luminohealth.com slash trashybooks. This podcast episode is brought to you by Ritual, a vegan-friendly multivitamin delivered to your door that's formulated with high-quality nutrients in bioavailable forms that your body can actually use. Many people age 19 through 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet, and some are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women ages 18 and up. It is formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. Ritual also invested in a gold standard university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. I like knowing all the steps behind my vitamins, and I love the ease. My multivitamins are delivered to my door every month with free shipping, and I can start, snooze, or cancel my subscription at any time. Right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash Sarah and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash Sarah. Okay, shipping fans, grab your life vests. It's time for my conversation with Olivia Dade, where we are going to squee at each other about lots and lots of fandoms. On with the podcast. My name is Olivia Dade. I'm an author of contemporary romantic comedies, including most recently Spoiler Alert and All the Feels. Congrats on the release of All the Feels. What will readers find in this book? So the premise of the book is that there is a blockbuster fantasy television show that is not Game of Thrones, but it's not not Game of Thrones, (laughs) which I think may come up later. Uh, And in the final season, it's sort of going over a cliff and the cast is not thrilled about it. And so the first two books in my series involve two of the cast members uh, who were frustrated and sort of express that frustration in different ways. In this case, the cast member is Alex, who is a huge hearted chaos demon. And (laughs) he is frustrated and he has other Uh, personal issues that he's dealing with that the final season have sort of exacerbated. And so he gets into a bar fight. The production feels like he's spiraling downward and they assign him a minder, which is something that does happen. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., for instance, was assigned a minder at least a couple times, including one that he married. So I'm trying to tell you all the feels is essentially nonfiction. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No. But, uh, and his his minder is Lauren Clegg, who is sort of a burnt out ER therapist who figures this should be a relatively easy task, babysitting a grown man for a few months. Ha 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 ha. Yes. Uh, you know, living in a guest house in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, but it turns out that he's not exactly what she expected. Uh, and they become friends and then eventually they become more but then he sort of blows up his career and she needs to figure out what to do about that. I love how you incorporated some real, very specific details about what celebrity life is like, especially the parts that are utterly unglamorous. And we don't trust you to have your life together. So we're going to assign you a person to be your babysitter and pay them. Like, seriously, that really happens? That totally happens. (laughs) It does. I will tell you that most of my information about Hollywood comes from either Sir Google or... (laughs) Or more importantly, and more usefully, uh, Susanna Irwin, who writes Harlequin Desire um, books, who's lovely and a dear friend. She used to live in L.A. and she was part of the film and TV industry. And so when I was researching this book, particularly since it was summer of last year, it was the first several months of the pandemic. It's not like I was going to L.A. to do any of this. And I've never been to L.A., I basically picked Susanna's brain, but she she was so helpful. She's been on a red carpet before. I mean, I did research too, but it was sort of supplement what it's actually like to be on a red carpet for an event like the charity auction event that I have in here. She showed me (laughs) Moby used to have in Beachwood Canyon used to have 
a, a castle. Like there is a castle in Beechwood Canyon. So she, she sent me the link to that and then found this like dilapidated little duplex with a turret in North Hollywood. And I was like, clearly, and she is like, clearly Lauren is going to be living in this little duplex. Um, so she was wonderful. I, a lot of the book, sort of the, if it feels authentic to LA and celebrity culture, that's entirely due to her. That's She's so fantastic. cool. Now let, let's tackle the, the Game of Thrones part here. So I have questions yeah. from my Patreon community who are all very excited about this interview, by the way. And Rachel asks, quote, I'm sure this is just me not doing a deep dive about things for the book, just loving them. But how much of the snark about the final season of, of The Gates is a parallel to the fan reaction to the final season of Game of Thrones? And if it's not not Game of Thrones, I must ask you, how <laughs> cathartic was it to write a whole book series about how crap the last season was? <laughs> I, I said that the alternate name for my series should have been Saltiness is Coming. Um <laughs> Now, I have to admit, my fandom for Game of Thrones was somewhat limited mm-hmm. in the sense that I am—I did not actually have HBO because I'm cheap. Also, because <laughs> I have trouble watching violence, especially sexual violence. Oh, oh yeah, and- me too. Not cannot put that in my eyeballs. But it's—it's it's everywhere, yeah. right? You can still pick up the story even through gift sets on Tumblr. That's, I mean, gift sets on Twitter is where I first sort of became intrigued because the final season was airing and some of my friends on Twitter, I think Selika Snyder and some others had posted gift sets of Jamie and Brienne. And I had not run across, again, I hadn't seen the show because I was like, I'd heard things and I'm like, I do not need to see. <laughs> I knew yep. there were things that were going to happen that I was not going to want to watch. Um, but she's, you know, what I saw was that, you know, the character of Brienne was not sort of Hollywood traditionally attractive, even though, even though Gwendolyn Christie is gorgeous, you know, that she's at least portrayed as not being sort of typically what you would expect to find on a blockbuster television show. Mm-hmm. And then I went from there and sort of, I'm kind of a gift whore. I <laughs> they're like, it is often my entree into shipping. I did the same thing with Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Yep. Um, oh. Good gift sets. Good gift sets. The two of them can just look at each other and it's like, whoa, my clothing is on fire now. Yeah. Years ago, Rose Lerner put gift sets all over Twitter. And that was that was the end. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I also love looking at ships that are absolutely not text, that are very much subtext in a movie that there is no way I'm going to watch. Like, for example, no violence for Sarah's means I'm not going to watch Kingsman, right? As far as I am concerned, that is a romance between Mr. Darcy and a dude in a tracksuit, and they do some stunts. <laughs> um, you'll be glad to hear that Game of Thrones for me, um, based on the YouTube supercut of Jamie and Brienne scenes, uh, is essentially a romance. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Other than a little mild amputation, it actually yeah, um, it happens. gets rid of... A lot of the objectionable stuff, because if you only include their scenes together, there's very little, for instance, twin sass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it reads very much like a romance. Yeah. If you out the other scenes, as long as you stop after the kiss. Yes. <laughs> stop there. Yes. And it, then, it, then it reads very much like a romance, which is delightful. And I loved it. Um, but I think the reason I did love it so much was because I didn't see anything. Oh, yeah. Surround <laughs> it. If you're only watching the smooching and you're not watching any of the violence, sexual or otherwise, it's like a 25 minute show, like the whole thing. <laughs> I just couldn't. Um, and I and oh, I don't I get it. So I was very grateful to that fan who decided <laughs> to sit down and put all those scenes together and allow me to ignore the vast majority of what actually happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, by the time the finale came out, I was pretty firmly immersed in at least that aspect of the story. Um, and, and so I did actually watch the final few episodes. And it was frustrating to me. And it wasn't even just frustrating as a romance author, where as someone who believes that happy endings can be just as realistic that somehow it's not more clever or meaningful to have these grim, dark endings 
So, I mean, there was my frustration in the sense that obviously I would have preferred a happy ending, but I think most fans of the Jamie Brienne relationship kind of expected him to die. So that wasn't so much the issue. It was more that the way they did it was so damaging. The reversal of character arc, yes. the sort of building up this relationship over years and then suddenly just like tossing it out without a second thought and without really referring to it ever again. And it was just, it was so weird. <laughs> and it it sort of undid I think a really lovely progression throughout the the show. There was, I think, one of the sort of a part of the heart of the show in some ways. And of course, I would think that because it's the only part I really watched. So fair enough. Mm-hmm. But it was bizarre. And I think that was more the not necessarily that I wanted like he and Brienne to like move to Tarth and have like tall blonde children together. <laughs> it was more, I mean, I did, but like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> So, so it was very satisfying. I, will say I imagine. I imagine. Um, do you know the joke about why Lannisters have such big beds? Oh. Because oh, they just push two twins together to make a king. <laughs> Terrible, but very funny. It is, right? <laughs> Alana wanted me to ask you. First, quote, I have to say I just did a happy dance hearing that this episode is coming up. Spoiler alert was an absolute revelation For me, as a fat, geeky woman, April's determination to set boundaries with people, especially her family, was so validating. Second, after having read so much of your back catalog, I've noticed that Olivia puts much more focus on characters with learning disorders. Both Marcus and Spoiler Alert and Alex and All the Feels are pretty detailed about the accommodations they need to continue to be successful in their careers. What inspired you to add those pieces to these stories? And side note, she says, as someone with ADHD, who works with special ed kids, reading Alex had me cackling and tearing up in turns with the accuracy. Some of it, my sort of choice to include dyslexia and ADHD is because I have people I love in my life who have had those and without sort of violating their privacy. But so it's, it's that, which of course is not the same thing as having it myself. And I try to, even though I have, you know, gone to classes and done other things. I also ran the book by sensitivity readers, uh, two authors who uh, are very open about having ADHD. Uh, Meryl Wilsner and Bryna Starler both read it. And actually Avon paid for a sensitivity reader, which I really appreciated to make sure that it wasn't harmful. I think some, so some of it is my desire to sort of, uh, it's sort of a loving tribute to people I care about. But some of it, too, when you come up with a premise for a book, yeah, you have to explain it believably. <laughs> Originally, when I plotted, spoiler alert, and then I, I, I am a more of a plotter, I sent my sort of what I call my story arc, which is sort of like a freeform outline, to my editor, El Keck. And originally, Marcus was going to be the one who everyone found out that he was writing fanfic oh. about his character. And she said, she just, she was not thrilled about that. And she said, you know, that would really blow up his career. What would it mean for him? And truthfully for him, it would be much more devastating, I think, than for Alex. Um, Because for Marcus, there's so much of his worth wrapped up in his career in a way that it's not quite the same with, with Alex. So I was like, oh, I'll just have it do, I'll have it happen to his best friend. And then it actually works. I I thought it works pretty well. And she agreed. So that's what we did. And when I wrote Spoiler Alert, Alex was not meant to be the second book. I mean, there was no planned book with him in it. So I was theoretically not going to have to have a greater explanation of what happened afterward. Or, you know, I didn't, I had to explain why he would do it, which is part of the reason I have the stuff with Lauren in the background but I did not actually think I was going to have to revisit that moment. So I wrote it in and he explodes his career. Um, and then it turns out I really fell in love <laughs> with him and Lauren. And, and so as I, that ended up being the book that I wrote next, even though it was not my contracted book, but then I had to figure out, why did he do that? I mean, you can say, you know, he's offended on her behalf and rightfully so. Right. But sort of exploding your career in that way is a decision that 
there has to be a lot behind it if you're going to explain it in their in his point of view. Yeah. So then you get into, well, what is his backstory? Similar to Marcus, what is his backstory that would cause him to, to sort of reach that point? And then part of it is his history with his family. But then if you sort of look at his character as like he sort of grew on the page, and spoiler alert, to me, he had a lot of the markers of ADHD. And so then it became, well, there's also issues of impulsivity, uh, because ADHD, of course, as you know, is not just about attention. It's about, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Impulse um, control? Impulse control, but it's uh, not thinking. Sorry, my brain just went dead there. So this part will be edited out, probably. <laughs> but there's not higher order thinking. It's executive function. Executive function. Thank you. That was what I was looking for. So executive function. So yeah. impulsivity, uh, time management. Um, and also uh, rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, things like that. And so I wanted to sort of incorporate a lot of that into what would explain that. Because I love in romances when main characters are willing to blow up their lives to defend their love interests, right? It is, it is really sort of astonishingly cathartic, right? Right. It's wonderful. But then I was like, and I and I genuinely love that. You know, I'm a I'm a lifelong romance reader. But then I was like, but I actually had to look at the real life sort of consequences of that. Yeah. Like as much as you may love that person, like what does it mean to like blow up your life yeah. for that other person? Um, and so for me it was a little bit of a conversation without anyone else knowing it was in conversation with that sort of idea within romance of sort of self-sacrifice because Lauren is extremely self-sacrificing too in a different way and for different reasons, which is also something that's sort of glorified sometimes. Oh yeah. And so for me in book, the part was an exploration of that idea of self-sacrifice and what, what it entails and what it means. Like at what point is this like deeply romantic? And at one point is it self-destructive? Yeah. And, and so sort of trying to thread the needle where it is both mm-hmm. it was yep. sort of what I was part of what I was attempting to do. Do you have a, a favorite scene in this book that you're really proud of that you really like? One of the things I wanted to accomplish in this book was to turn the banter up to 11. Always uh, <laughs> a good decision. And so there's a scene where they're having breakfast on his property and like you first find out like that his his pretty woman like obsession. And like I just really loved that the conversation made me laugh. And so I really loved that because I I was proud of I was proud of the banter. But I would say for readers, the 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 favorite scene seems to be the only one bad scene, which I did have a lot of fun with. Yeah. But I think the one that's actually closest to my heart in some ways, as much as I love the romance is the scene toward the end with him and his mom. I just found it just such a pleasure to write, like envisioning the two of them in like early 90s Florida, like mulleted both of them, you know, in a Chevette going up and down the Florida coast in the Chevette, staying at cheap, cheap motels near the seaside, like, and like singing along badly together to like Motley Crue. <laughs> And all these things, I just, I loved the idea that they were sort of a team from the beginning and how loving it was without, with acknowledging that like he was a lot and that, you know, she's a single mom and she's got a lot of really crappy jobs sort of to make ends meet. But I just love, I love the idea of them with a locket with like the two of them in there together with like matching mullets. I just... I really, I, I really loved that scene. And my editor, we had to cut a lot of this book. It was way too long. And she's like, well, could this scene happen in a phone call? And I, my, my editor is fantastic. And 95% of the time, whatever she says, I'm like, yep, you're right. Mm-hmm. In this case, I was like, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, we need to keep this. I, I cut it back. But like, I really want to see this scene with his mom because this is sort of the crux. Yeah. Of a lot of the reason why he's reacting the way he is. And he needs to sort of, you know, this is sort of his emotional, sort of one of his emotional growth moments where he needs to let go of the guilt and needs to let his mom be his mom again. Yeah. Instead of someone he's failed in his life. And um, 
So yes. That's one of your favorites. That's one of my favorites. It, that feeds really well into my question from Kelly, which reads, Ms. Dade is a newly discovered favorite of mine for many reasons, including how nuanced and fully formed her characters are. They're grown-ups with whole lives, including parents and friends and work and hobbies and love and lovers. How does she invent, write, and organize such complexities into a single volume? Well, I realize that, and she also says, they're amazing. Now, I imagine part of it is that, uh, well, a lot of it is cut because you write all of it in. What's left does does some of that character development. Um, but also these scenes where they're in the car and you get a, you share a memory with the characters that is foundational to who they are as people. That that makes sense into how Kelly is going to see these characters as such, you know, nuanced grownups with stuff. What are other ways that you incorporate the stuff into making a character that shows up already having had a life? Like I said, before I start, yeah. I do what I call my story arc. Yeah. One of the things I do is for each character, sort of um, think through what their personal history is. Right. And that personal history is going to include, obviously, uh, family, sort of growing up. Um, it's going to include work because and work is especially important. Often in my stories, the characters are in a sort of uh, transitional period as mm -hmm. far as work. And I know that this is a story that I keep sort of coming back to in part because I am someone who uh, I know that's personal. A lot of it. I was in graduate school, a PhD program for American history. I wanted to be a professor from seventh grade on. And then I decided much to my shock that I did not actually want to be in academia. So I left a little bit after my master's. But then that left me completely lost. I know all the words to this song. I know every verse, the chorus, the I know every word to that song. Yep. So like there I was, you know, at 24, whatever I was, having thought this since, you know, seventh grade, this is what I was going to do. And now I've sort of like, well, what do I do now? Yeah. And it turns out a master's in history, there's a limited <laughs> selection of things. Can you imagine? Um, it's so frustrating. You know, I, I did a lot of those things and then found myself sort of after several years, for whatever reason, sort of not they weren't the right fit. So sort of jumping from work to work. Yeah. And then questioning sort of myself until I found uh, myself writing romance. This has been the thing I've done the longest. You know, it's in, in my adult life and I don't see an end to it. But the idea of sort of the world as you've conceived of it, your future as you've conceived of it sort of disappearing beneath your feet and having to sort of look around yourself and and reconstruct that world, yeah. I think is something that comes pretty, that's a story that <laughs> comes up pretty frequently in my books. You know, some of the stuff as I'm conceiving, all of those things are going to come into play. Exes, if the exes have um, any relevance to the story, in the case of Alex, they didn't really, and Lauren, they didn't really. Um, but in some some of my books, exes have some relevance. And then I never I never want my characters to be isolated. Right. In in the, you know, as far as having friends, unless the progression of the story is in part a progression of them moving from isolation to community. Yeah. And the idea of a found family. Like I would say the third book in the series, which I finished writing a couple months ago, I would argue that Peter, who is the male main character, is actually quite isolated at the beginning of the book. But part of the what happens that I think is really lovely for him over the course of the story is him creating a community around himself with Maria's help. Yeah. And and his revelation toward the end of the book that he does have people who love him surrounding him. Um so I because romance again, lifelong romance reader, loves swoony romance, but like you need other people in your life. Yeah. You, you do, because what if something happens? Like you need other people in your life. And so it's important to me that there are friendships involved, and particularly since friendships are so crucial to my own life. Yeah. If I manage to incorporate all of that in a way that feels like well-rounded well human beings, then I'm very glad because that's totally my intent. I want to make sure that they feel as much as they can, even if the premise is banana pants, which <laughs> I understand, 
you know, for instance, the star of a TV show writing fanfic about their own character. Again, the premise is a little out there, but I want to play it straight. Yeah. Once I'm in the premise, if these were real people actually doing this, yep. why would they do it and how would it play out? And so take the high, you know, the premise and then play it straight from there, which means they have to have all these things in their life if they're going to be realistic about it. Yeah. And I'm sure there's an actor out there writing fanfic. I would nominate Tom Holland. I bet he writes loads and loads of fanfic. <laughs> well, I mean, I have to assume Chris Pine. I'm sure you read the whole thing about how he was in the erotica writing class. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I am sure that somewhere out there. There's is... Chris Pine fanfic by Chris Pine. <laughs> Not about Chris Pine. There is fanfic rated E for explicit, and it'll be beautifully written. Yes. Beautifully written uh, porn without plot. <laughs> and you know, you know that he opens up his email, and if there's a kudos or a comment, he is just like, day is made! I am the greatest! Like, he just walks around floating above the pavement because he got a good comment on his fanfic. Makes his day. You know, after he filmed Wonder Woman... Like he did a bunch of fix it fix. Oh my gosh. Diana. There was none of that Casablanca crap with the plane. None of that. Uh uh-uh, uh, no. no. He had a good parachute and he got the hell out of that. Oh, yeah. Please. You know, yes. he wrote parachute sex, by the way. <laughs> well, why wouldn't he? Well, really? I mean, why not? Right? It's Chris Pine. Wow. He's <laughs> rocketing to the top of my favorite Chris list, which is not a list I maintain on the regular. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> so I want to ask, if you don't mind, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, what what are your fandoms online? I will tell you mine if you're interested, because I mean, yeah, it's only please. fair. So obviously there's the romance, but which I can't call it a fandom because it's also my job. So it's this weird mm-hmm. overlap between, and, and that's what I think what people don't quite consider um, when they, you know, you talk about find a hobby, find something you love to do it and then monetize it. I don't always recommend that. Sometimes it's cool for something to be a hobby. And so I have the fandom that is my job, which is romance. And then I'm also like, I love How to Train Your Dragon so much. I could I could give you a whole dissertation on all three movies, the television shows, all of it. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. So that is my other fandom, which then spans into other things dragon related because there's no shortage of good things about dragons and fanfic, except for mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. No, 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 no. So those are my two main fandoms with side trips into little areas like uh, Miss Fisher. And (laughs) um, I have a deep love of the really, really, really old seasons of Bake Off, like the really old ones that you can barely find. I love those. But I'm curious, what are your fandoms? First of all, I would like to say that Alex and you could have long chats about all the seasons of Bake Off, like ranking them. He would enthusiastically discuss this with you for long periods of time. I have <laughs> I have thoughts about the dynamics of the hosts and how they've changed and the erasure of caretaking in the I I have another dissertation. It I will keep it to myself for now, but yes. I would re- <laughs> I wish that were possible. <laughs> um and I would also note to it's not answering your question right away, but I will also note that I completely know what you mean about uh monetizing your hobby yeah oh yeah i'm a lifelong romance reader it was the main way that like if i didn't want to i mean i loved reading but if i didn't want to feel my feelings (laughs) i would read um and it turns out if you make that your living like romance it i went through a long chunk of time where it became really hard for me to read yep read romance, which was devastating for me because it was my main sort of love (laughs) outside of work, you know, other than my family. And then to suddenly find myself unable to immerse myself in the story because my brain was too busy Yep. looking at, well, what's working for me in the story? What's not working for me in the story? Why do I think the story was successful? Do I feel like the premise, like, was it the premise? Was it the writing was, and then Holding my lighter. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then you have personal, and this is true for you too, and you have personal relationships with some of the authors. So you, which adds a different, it's hard to sort of disconnect that from the story. Yeah. 
and immerse yourself in it, which is part of the reason I read nothing but Jamie Brand fan fiction for a year and a half, because I didn't know any of those people. Yep. We're not on sale. And I did not like, and I didn't have to look at a lot of those aspects were just erased. Oh yeah. But it became something where I was just coming out from a reader who didn't know any of these people yep. and just enjoy the story. Yes. So yeah. now I, I just want to say that I a thousand percent understand. It's hard, I'm right? Saying. It's really hard. And I, I found myself reading romance adjacent subgenres like urban fantasy and uh, mysteries with a romantic arc because yeah. it gets me most of what I need, but it's not as full on what I do, which makes it easier for me sometimes. Yep. There's um, danger in there because sometimes, you know, if they're not actually romances, sometimes they kill the characters because they're murder <laughs> mysteries and it's mur murder is in the, the, it's part of the, I understand, <laughs> but like, could you not murder the ones I like? That would be great. You're leaving the safe the safe confines when you do that. I am a big fan of spoilers. Oh, uh, oh yeah. So I'll look at Goodreads and see like what's happening, and occasionally some of those urban fantasy series, like there's a fake out boyfriend. Yep. Like usually a boyfriend or like a vampire friend. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's often like a fake out love interest. Yep. Who dies? Yep. And I'm like, I uh, don't think so. Nope. Like I'm coming in after that. <laughs> That's a hard no. Oh yeah. Um, but yes, my main fandom is was was the Jamie Brand fandom. I am someone who goes through like stages where I get particularly obsessed about some topic or a sh you know a ship. Yep. That I get very obsessed with for like several years, and then eventually I will find myself with a different one. Not that the first one is no longer good anymore. It's just that my brain moves on to fertile new territory, and this is true from the time I was little before I even understood really you know before shipping was even a word yeah. x-files was not out yet and um and then and the x-files were one of my my ships if I had known fan fiction existed in college I would not have graduated because I would have been too busy reading fanfic to um do work I used to have a website bookmarked that was nothing but the romantic moments in every X-Files episode. So if I was like, oh, it's too much, whoa, monster gourd, guy, why are they, why are they doing that? I could just find that one scene, get the little dopamine hit and then move on. I, I was an entire list of nothing but the romance moments. Oh my God, I loved it so much. I, I have literally done that for series that oh, yeah. like the romance is like a secondary thing. Yeah. Where like I've made myself a list, episode four, thirty-three, oh two, like and just watch those because no, I've done that. I did that with and CSI of all things. Gil Grissom and Sarah Seidel? Yes! Oh my god, the one with the bugs yes! where they mirror each other and he has to do the autopsy and they can't prove that it's the dude and she sees him make this big confessional. Oh my god. Yes. Oh, there's like one one stalwart woman. I think, no, I think she's used she, her, uh, in that, in on AO3, who is still writing, like, really good. It's like this one woman's holding down the fandom for all of us. Oh, <laughs> oh the Gil and Sarah romance was, like, what, three, four seasons easily? It was long. It was a long, drawn-out process. I did never expect it to find anyone else. <laughs> That well, it ain't like I'm watching it for the murder. I'm not here for the death. I'm here for the romance. Yeah. Skip. Yeah. Okay. And, and I can watch surgery and eat spaghetti. Like I don't, I'm not grossed out by body things. I just, it's the, the murder, the horror, the violence and the harm that is what gets to me. So like autopsies are fine. I don't care. But romance over autopsies. Hello. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Always. Oh yeah. I was totally into that one. Actually, that makes me very happy. <laughs> I literally revisited that earlier this year. No I way. Like, I remember being really into that, like dynamic. I was, I was into it. So I went back and like got on, you know, bought a bunch of the episodes. And then I found the woman who I talked about is holding down the fandom. Yeah. She has a guide to all the different like episodes that have the most GSR content. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. So I really focused on those episodes. So if I can, if you remind me, if I can find that, I will try to do my best to send that to you if I can find the link again for yes, you. Yes, please.
please. Someone who will be listening to this will be like, oh my God, please put that link in the show notes. Please, please, please. <laughs> we, we cannot be alone. It's the rule of the internet. There cannot just be two of us. Right. I mean, I've always been like that. Before I understood what it meant, I was super into days of our lives. And for whatever reason, I was super into Jack and Jennifer, which apparently, as it turns out, before I started watching was like a lot of like non-con ick. But like, I didn't see that. And nope. so I set up two VCRs and I did a fan supercut with VCRs, which took no. when I was in middle school, like it took untold hours with all their scenes together Ooh. because I wanted to have like a, a compilation of all their scenes. That's amazing. <laughs> and I, I could not have named to you that that was shipping at the time. Nope. It clearly was. Nope. Um, and then, yeah, X-Files and, like, uh, on Star Trek Voyager, there was Bolana Torres and the Bl- Tom Parrish. Yep. So, like, I would have these little, you know, ships that were not the point of the show, but, like, I really, they're the reason I was watching the show. Oh, yeah. So, and then, of course, like, more recently, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries with uh, Jack and Franny, but then, yeah, Jamie Brienne. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, these are good fandoms. They are I I think so. <laughs> I mean I love when you're re- when you're experiencing a piece of media too where you get this sense like oh they 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 get it. They they know what they're doing. I trust these people because that's what you have when you read romance, right? You trust that the person who says I wrote a romance knows the rules of the romance. So you're like, all right, I trust you with all of my tender squishy feelings. I trust you that this is what's going you said what it was. And why it's dangerous to step out of the genre. So when you encounter that in a in a media that isn't the one that says we are a romance, like wait, wait, you you know what you're doing. You're not gonna you're not gonna kill one of them. You actually understand what's happening. You've put them in a room with only one bed. You do know what you're doing. <laughs> I remember my outrage. I was reading romance from the time I was six or seven. Um, but I remember briefly, I. <laughs> I did used to read more non-romance stuff until my anxiety got higher. And then I really needed happy endings, like guaranteed. But one of my forays uh, in middle school into non-romance was a Philip Pullman series. Uh Uh-oh. Which I did not know much about him. And the first book is like a slow burn between, you know, the female main character and her love interest. I'm like, this is... This is, you know, it's, and it didn't go. I was like, ah, oh, so second book. I was like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And they got together, and like slept together halfway through the second book. And then literally later that night, he dies in a fire. <laughs> and I was just devastated, like sobbing. It turns out, of course, she's then she's pregnant, which I hate accidental pregnancy plot lines. And I was just like. And then, like, the rest of the series, like, I think it was a trilogy. Like, it was her, like, deep in grief and, like, he's gone. And, and I was like. What even never, is the point? Never again, Sarah. <laughs> never. No. I will I will not leave this garden. You may not take me out of here. Oh, yeah. Uh-uh. I'm going to make sure that whatever else I read, either I know from the beginning that, like, it's not going to end well. Yeah. And I accept that. Yeah. Or I just got to stick to. Yeah. Stick to. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what are you working on right now? Well, I just finished a couple months ago the third book in the Spoiler Alert Ooh, universe. Congratulations! Finishing a book in this crap is is quite an accomplishment. <laughs> well played. I, I, <laughs> I am thrilled because I actually really love the story, which it was hard to write. I'll be frank because it was different writing in the early months of the pandemic versus writing in the you know more recent months. Like I reread it and I'm like. I was like, this reads like the work is someone much better adjusted than I am. (laughs) (laughs) This looks like I have my shit together. How'd that happen? I have moments like that. I'm waiting on my editor's notes on that, and hopefully she loves it too. I'm still waiting. I always say this. I'm still waiting for the day where she gets back to me and she's like, Olivia, like, this is perfection. (laughs) Nothing here needs to be changed. No notes. Anything you change will make it worse. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just send this off to copy edit. That's fine. I'll just slap the cover on it. Off it goes. (laughs) 
But maybe this is the time, Sarah. <laughs> maybe this is it. This is that moment. Speak it into being. <laughs> Speak it into reality. So that is my hope. And I I mean, I can tell you more about it if you want, but I don't have to. No, please do. So it, it, the main characters are Maria and Peter, who are sort of tertiary characters in the first couple books because their characters, Cyprian and Cassia, have been shipwrecked on an island, a desolate island off the coast of Ireland, for years. Um, and so they, while they communicate with the cast for the cash chats and conventions, they're not going to be there for filming and they're not going to be on the page as much. And they were originally supposed to be the second book oh. in the series, but then Alex sort of elbowed his way. <laughs> Alex and Lauren elbowed their way into the second book. Um, so the, the premise is, is that she is Swedish and she's doing final auditions for this role on gods of the gates. So it goes back to sort of years before the other two books start. And she's in the final auditions. They're doing chemistry auditions. So the final few actors for her role, the final few actors for uh, the role of Cyprian. And she meets this uh, thick-thighed Viking whom she finds extremely appealing. This is my, uh, I have written a story before where both main characters are fat, but this is the first one for Avon where both main characters are fat. And, um, she has a one night stand, but she's very much of the opinion that there's no point to really pursuing this at all, because if she gets the role, she'll be on a desolate Irish Island for years. Right. If she doesn't get the role, she's going back to Sweden. So like, why would she bother yeah. to give contact information or really even her last name to the man that she just had a one night stand with? So she leaves before he wakes up. Uh, and then, of course, because this is romance, they arrive, she arrives to auditions, and he's one of the final actors in contention for the other role. And they both get cast, and so now they're going to be on the only two actors on this desolate island for five years of filming with a small crew. Um, which is why my the name of the book right now, at least, is Shipwreck, two, one, two words, because yeah. it's shipping. Uh and then my alternate title is Only One Island. <laughs> Force Proximity is my jam. <laughs> oh, I love Force Proximity. It's my fave. I mean, this is my thing with when I read these uh, mysteries with a romantic arc, like, I don't care who, who got killed and why. Yeah. I just flip till they're on the page together. Like, I really love seeing love interests on the page together as much as possible. Oh, yeah. So. Um, so yeah, I love forced proximity. I love reading it. I love writing it. Um, and so it traces sort of their first, and he's not thrilled with what happened. So it traces sort of their first year together. And then it picks up again. There's a time jump. It picks up again at the end of filming and the final press junket together. And of course the convention where everything happens. Um, and I really love the story. So I hope um, he's sort of a surly loner, uh, and she is completely she's she's cheerful, but she's not like sunshine in the sense that like she's completely confident of her own talent, her own worth, her body. She thinks she's hot. She is hot. Um, so because one of the things I wanted to do in a series was also show different relationships. Yeah. The fat characters having different relationships to their fatness and to their bodies. Yeah. And for her, like, it's not an issue. It might be an issue for other people, but like, she's like, fuck you. I'm amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and I just, I love the story. I hope that readers will too. And I hope my editor does. <laughs> Crossing my fingers, Al. <laughs> so I always ask this question. What books are you reading that you want to tell people about? The one of the books that I I want to I would love for more people, as many people as possible, to be reading. Um, I am biased because she's a dear friend, but but Therese Bahari's, and they lived happily ever after. Very close to my heart, uh, in part because she is, but also because the book is, you know, I've dealt with anxiety before as well as depression. And the female main character has undiagnosed anxiety, 
through most of the book and it affects her in pretty significant ways. And I think that it's, I think it's a very thoughtful and telling sort of depiction of what it means to be struggling with pretty severe anxiety. And part of the reason, you know, part of the message of the book is that you can be loved without having to have everything in your life solved that you can be, have be mentally ill yeah, and still be loved and find love and deserve love. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a warm, very warm book. It's a witty book, but it, I think in, at its heart, there are going to be a lot of readers who I hope will find it and find it meaningful to see part of their experience sort of captured on the page in a way that it isn't always. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my hope is that, you know, people will find that. Just like I hope there are certain parts of my books that hopefully people pick up and it's meaningful to them. I think that I think that Therese's work, you know, it's also wonderful because, you know, it's set in South Africa. I think, you know, the romance industry is really, you know, America and UK, like, are there big, you know, I'm glad to just see something set outside of sort of a typical hubs. Yep. Uh, and so I, I just think it's it's really lovely. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to Olivia Dade for hanging out with me. Did I Google Gil Grissom and Sarah Seidel supercuts while I was editing this? Yes. Did I lose like 45 minutes to an hour of working time because I fell down that rabbit hole? Oh, oh yes. Yes, I did. And I would love to know, I know this is a topic we've discussed before, but what are your ships? Do you have vintage ships? Do you have one of those big old ships that's like a galleon with five masts and lots of sails and it's, you know, no one's ever sailed it in 30 years. Do you have one of those ships? I would really love to hear about it. Can you tell this is one of my favorite topics? You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or Sarah with an H at smartpitchestrashybooks.com. Either way, I love hearing from you. As always, I end with a bad joke. I love ending with bad jokes. Are you ready? Here we go. Why do you never see elephants hiding in trees? Give up? Why do you never see elephants hiding in trees? Because they're really good at it. (laughs) So now when I'm going to go walk the dog, I'm going to look for elephants in the trees and my entire family will be like, what are you doing? (laughs) Thank you again to our Patreon community for making the transcript possible. And thank you to everyone who was so enthusiastic about this episode. Elephants in trees. We wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts.